We went uh, recently to see the film Respect, uh, which is based on the life of Aretha Franklin. It's the story of an extraordinary life, heartbreaking sexual abuse and early pregnancy at the age of 12, parental coercive control, domestic abuse from her husband, substance abuse that led to a complete breakdown. And yet it ends with her recording Amazing Grace, a live gospel album, after returning to faith and returning to God on her knees. A version of Amazing Grace, the, the, the song on the album lasts an extraordinary 16 minutes. I defy you to listen to it and not be moved. The whole story of her life is in her voice. Respect is the story of a broken life and also the story of God somehow bringing much that is beautiful out of that brokenness. It left me heartbroken at times as we watched it. Pretty much all the men in her life abused her in one way or in another, and her utter brokenness and isolation in which she found herself looked inevitable given her early years. She felt powerless and utterly alone until she cried out to God once again. It also left me wrestling with the nature versus nurture question about just how determinative we think the past is, about how just how long a shadow we allow the past to cast, about just how we allow it to imprison us in the present. Sometimes we prefer to be prisoners of events and forces beyond our control, to be driven by the past to allow it to determine the present. Why? Because then we're not responsible or not as responsible. Then we can't be blamed. Then we're just prisoners of events and forces beyond our control and others are to blame. And yet Proverbs uh, 4.24 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Another translation puts it slightly differently, the Living Bible. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. That's true, that how we guard our hearts and minds shapes our lives, then the consequence is clear. We have to think rightly about ourselves, about our pasts, about our God and our world and about the amazing grace that interrupts and redeems our lives as it did for Aretha Franklin. Amazingly, in her whole career, that live album was her biggest recording, biggest selling recording ever, and continues to be so to this day. So how do we do that? How do we think rightly about ourselves? First key to thinking rightly, no condemnation no condemnation. If you believe that the question is in doubt, am I really forgiven? If you even fear that you might not be, if you feel the slightest guilt after you've confessed something, you are believing a lie. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life sets you free from the law of sin and death. That's the truth. No condemnation 
freedom. We have to guard our hearts and minds with that truth. What does Paul mean by the law of sin and death? Well, think of it as a dreary cycle. A sinful desire leads to sinful action, which leads to guilt and which leads to punishment. It's like being on a roller coaster. Once you've got on, you just can't get off. I don't know about you, but every time I'm on a roller coaster, I can only think, when was the last time the health and safety executive inspected it? But once it's begun, there's no stopping it until it gets to the end. The chain of the roller coaster simply keeps pulling you forward, remorselessly, inevitably, without hope of escape. Desire leads to sin, leads to guilt, leads to punishment. That's the law of sin and death. That's what always happens. That's the way things are. But, Paul insists, but there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However inevitable the law of sin and death has been, however inevitable it still seems, there is now no inevitability about it at all. Why? Because the law of sin and death has been broken by a different law, the law of the spirit of life. Though our condemnation is deserved, though our condemnation is just, though our condemnation is what our sins cry out for, it does not happen. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. What does that mean, verse 4? Well, it means that the righteous requirement of the law has been fully met in us. Condemnation was deserved, it was just, but God condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus received that condemnation for us. The law of sin and death has been followed in Jesus. The law of sin has been completely fulfilled, fully met. I wonder if we think sometimes we're provisionally forgiven are those as those sent out into the world on license with a suspended sentence hanging over us or an electronic tag on our legs provisionally but not really forgiven but when Jesus forgives us the slate is really wiped clean it's not like our lives as a piece of paper or a whiteboard when you can tell where stuff has been erased because you've got the eraser smudge and coating we are good as new not smudged and marked, clean as new. And God does not do double jeopardy. You don't get tried twice for the same thing by God. The righteous requirements of the law had been fully met. It's done with. And even if we do, God does not revisit things. It's like the cross has been inserted into the roller coaster's drive mechanism. The roller coaster just can't run anymore. The chain is broken. The consequences no longer follow. There is now no condemnation. So let's get our hearts and minds right. No condemnation. The chain, the law of sin and death has been broken. The past need not determine the, future, the present, let alone the future. For us to think or feel or fear that there is, is simply for us to believe a lie. And if we believe our lie, that lie, that lie shapes our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. 
If we believe that lie, then we still live as though the old chain still works, still live as though sinful down must lead to sinful action, must lead to guilt, must lead to punishment. Be careful how you think, Proverbs 4.24, because your life is shaped by your thoughts. If you're believing a lie, then that lie is shaping your life. And if you're believing that there's even the slightest question that Jesus will not forgive you or has not forgiven you, then that lie is shaping your life. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So first, no condemnation. Second is simple. Believe no lies. Believe no lies. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We've got to get the mind right. That is so often the battleground. And the heart of getting the mind right is right information. Yes, we know there's no condemnation. But something more marvellous flows from accepting that. You see, if that law has completely broken down, none of that process needs to happen. Because we're no longer dominated by sin, sinful desire need no longer lead to sinful action. It need not. It often does. Of course, it often does. But the breaking of the chain means it need not. Not only is sin no longer inevitable, holiness is credible and within our reach. Paul makes it clear. If we focus our minds wrongly, if we focus our minds on sinful desire, the consequences can and will be, desire, will be dire. Second half of verse six, the, the, verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. If we focus our minds on lies, that leads to spiritual death. But verse 7 tells us that the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. Not only can it not submit to God, it absolutely cannot please God. So if we continue through life believing that we're not forgiven, if we continue through life believing that we're condemned to sin again, then we end up with a mind that shapes our lives in ways that cannot please God, even in ways that are hostile to God. Really matters how you think about yourself and your life. And just reflect for a moment the consequences of basing our thinking on the right information. Second half of verse 6. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. If we're thinking rightly, no condemnation, no double jeopardy, cycle of the law of sin and death broken. If we're thinking rightly, then we know that we have been freed by the Holy Spirit of life. Because we're no longer controlled by sin, we're now free to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the consequence of that is delightful. As Paul writes, the kingdom in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Thinking rightly about your life and yourself is a source, Paul tells us, of great life, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So believe no lies. Base our minds and our lives on truth. And third, no obligation. 
no obligation. Verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. We have, in other words, no obligation to the sinful nature. What does that mean? It means we are not bound. Not now, not ever. We're not bound to follow the law of sin and death. Nature and nurture both give way to amazing grace. You see, we've sinned so often, uh, we tend to think that that's the way things are. We think that dreary chain is inevitable, sinful desire, sinful action, guilt, punishment. But sin is conning us. The cross has broken that chain, broken it between guilt and punishment, broken it between sinful desire and sinful action. So Paul insists we have to change the way we see our actions, that we are not and never have been and certainly are no longer under an obligation to sin. We don't have to do it. There simply isn't a chain anymore. But sadly, we often choose to believe that there is. We think we're obliged to sin because it feels inevitable. Maybe in some ways because we want it to be inevitable. But Paul insists that it's not. That it's a habit, not a necessity. That it's a habit, moreover, that we can break. Sin is not as inevitable as gravity. In fact, Paul goes further. Quite the reverse is true. While we have no obligation to sin, we do have an obligation, an obligation to the Holy Spirit, an obligation to work with the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives, to allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit, to know ourselves to be God's children, which is the next section, and to put to death by the Spirit the misdeeds of the body. Again, it has to be said, what we believe affects what is possible for us. Three times Paul stresses in verses 9 to 11 the importance of faith. So verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the spirit, but in, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If you've got faith, then the Holy Spirit is living with you. Then, Paul insists, you know you're not controlled by the sinful nature. And if you know that, then you know that you're not obliged to sin. In fact, you're obliged and invited to keep in step with the Spirit. This is about faith. If we know that the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we can live this way. Not just out of obedience, not a kind of try harder, drive harder sort of thing, but because that faith has changed the equation. Well, you might say, how? Well, verse 10, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. That's what the cross means. The old law of sin and death, that dreary cycle has been broken. Again, verse 11, and this is the biggie, we must grasp this. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Think about that for a second. The spirit by whom the father raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. 
Not a different spirit, not a Holy Spirit light, but the very same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is now living in us. What we believe changes what is possible for us. If that's the spiritual power God has breathed into us, the same spiritual power by which Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, then what should we expect by faith to be the outworking in our lives of that same spirit? If the Holy Spirit is the same, then surely, surely we should expect or at least be open to the same outworking. The Holy Spirit is not less powerful than he was on that first Easter day. He is not less good, not less gracious, not less loving. He has no lessened desire to give God glory. The same spirit must mean surely we should expect the same outworking in our lives. That's what Paul says in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit, therefore the same outworking. The same spirit of life is at work in you and me as was at work in the empty tomb. Giving life to our mortal bodies refers, of course, to our hope beyond the grave. But here, its main meaning is, I think, that the Spirit gives power to us in our bodies and our whole selves to live for God. That the Spirit gives us power to live holy lives. That's why the Holy Spirit coming often has physical effects. The Spirit doesn't just touch the mind or the spirit, the spirit touches the whole of who we are. What we believe uh, changes what's possible for us under God. If I have faith that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is at work in me, then I know, I know that the hold of sin has been broken. Then I know know that my spirit has been made alive by him, then I know, I know that the spirit can enable me to live a holy life. Remember Proverbs 4.23, be careful how you think, your life is shaped by your thoughts. What we believe changes what is possible for us. We have to think rightly about ourselves and our God. No condemnation. Believe no lies. No obligation to sin. So what does all this mean for us today? It means first, focus on the right stuff. Paul writes in Philippians 4.8, Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It seems sometimes that so much of our effort in trying to become holy goes into trying to stop doing certain things. But that's to concentrate on not doing something. That's as difficult as trying to ignore a ticking clock once you've heard it. Once you've heard it, you can't stop hearing it. Paul's advice is different. Focus on other things. Focus on spiritual and holy things. Focus on healthy, pleasant pursuits. And these things will displace wrong habits. If you focus on keeping the wrong things out, your focus is still on the wrong things. 
If you focus on good, positive, wonderful things, then your focus is wholesome. Those new habits or spiritual disciplines will grow you in the faith. As they grow you in the faith, they can displace what is misleading or damaging you. Are you seeking to put the right things in, not just to keep the wrong things out? Second, grasp that what we believe affects what's possible for us. The presence of God changes every equation. So often we meekly accept that the way things seem to be as really the way things are, as even the way, things, the way God wants them to be. But when we look at the world, how can we believe that God is indifferent to injustice? How can we believe that God is indifferent to suffering? Faith changes every equation. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Not a cut down version, the very same Holy Spirit. If we have faith to believe that, lots of things open up before us. When we're careful how we think, our lives are shaped by our thought. And then we see every situation through the eye of faith and with the breath of God in us. Will we allow faith to change every equation for us? Remember, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, right here and right now. Right here and right now is the same power and presence and anointing as the Holy Spirit had in the empty tomb. So be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. How are we aiming to shape our lives by faith and by the presence of the spirit of life within us? And it means third, the door stands open for you. The door stands open for you. Your chains have been broken. Your sins have been forgiven. There's not the slightest smudge on the record of your life. It is now pristine. It's not been so cleverly mended. You can't see the join. There's no longer any join. No buts, no maybes, no special cases, nothing so terrible, so black, so ugly. It cannot be washed away. The work of Christ is complete in your life as soon as you say sorry and receive forgiveness. Your chains have been broken. Your sins have been forgiven. Your cell door stands open. Why would you choose to stay in prison when you don't need to do so? Get out that door and don't look back. Don't allow the past to determine the future anymore. 